Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. I want to I pre-introduced this friend of mine last week, and I want to introduce him again. This is Richard Pope. Richard is pastor at Canvas Church in Salisbury, Maryland. He had the opportunity to bless our students at Reboot this past January, and he's going to have the opportunity to bless y'all, and I know you're going to be blessed today. Welcome, Richard. Hey, guys. Come on. It's 9 a.m. Be better than that. Hey, guys. I, uh, hey, I, I want to just be honest with you guys. Last night I went to dinner with, uh, you know, some members of your church, and I, uh, I never thought I'd eat sushi in West Virginia. <laughs> I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. When I think West Virginia, I think of a song. I, I don't know. You probably never heard of it, but there's like a song about you guys. It's like, uh, you know, almost heaven, you know? Right, right there. Okay. You just fulfilled a dream of mine. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to say I sang West Virginia with, uh, West Virginians. Guys, I'm Richard, and hey, real quick, before we jump into the Word this morning, I'm going to give you a brief uh, kind of overview of who I am. Uh, my man Chris did a great job, but I want to show you guys some pictures. You guys have slides up there? You guys have slides? Uh, hey, so I'm the lead pastor of Canvas. There's a photo somewhere. Canvas is a church that we planted in 2021 uh, in the middle of COVID. No slide. I'm kidding. Hey, uh, Canvas is a church that we planted in 2021. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm from Maryland. And in Maryland, there was this word with a C. Uh, and there was this disease thing. And it was very serious in Maryland. I don't know if you had it in West Virginia. But, but in Maryland, COVID shut everything down. So we launched a church in the middle of COVID in a 2,000-square-foot facility next to a barber shop where they also sold drugs. Uh, it, it was really, really encouraging and wonderful. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's this time where someone from the North American Mission Board visited our church, and he was recording some content for a project that we're working on. And in the, the, in the content, he says, to the right of me, James Schultz, a 16-year-old, shares the gospel with an old man who walked out from the barber shop. And to the left, a college student lights up a joint. Uh, what he didn't tell you is that the college student got the joint from the barbershop, right? Uh, that was just a thing. So we launched that church, and God was extensively, incredibly kind to us. In a year and a half, we grew to 141 people, uh, starting in COVID, lots of college students, lots of deeply poor, uh, and people who struggled with poverty, and, uh, you know, single moms and drug addicts and all these cool things. And then college kids, which are basically drug addicts. I'm kidding. Uh, all these people were coming together. And then we had all these young professionals. And I remember telling them, I said, hey, I have college students and I have people who are addicted. You third of the church, you're going to pay for everything. I just want you to know that. Guys, and God was so kind to us that we recently moved into a new building. And then I also uh, have the honor as of June of working as a church planting catalyst uh, with Send Network and then the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware in this contractor role, which is a fancy way of saying I get to convince other people to do crazy things like start churches. Uh, any of you interested? <laughs> Dang. All right. And then I'm married to Peyton, who you probably saw. Oh, there's Peyton. She rushed out of here. Uh, and I have a dog named Mirsha. Does anybody in here have a dog? All right, now I have a question, and I just need you guys to be really honest because I'm judging you guys. Uh, does anybody here have a cat? All right, now I have a really important question. Who here has a cat and a dog? All right, leave your hands up. Who likes their cat more than their dog? 
All right, you can get out. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, guys, I'm just sharing all of these things because I think that, that when we tell people who we are, we often jump into the Instagrammable things. Uh, or let me contextualize that. We, ju- we jump into the things that we're willing to share, the Facebook things. Hey, nobody goes on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, threads, I don't know, whatever the new thing is. Nobody goes on any social media platform and says the parts of their life that aren't great. Do you know what I mean? Like, like nobody would get on Facebook or stand on the street corner. No one would, would walk down to Shepherdstown, which is a cute little town I visited yesterday, and they wouldn't stand in the middle of the street and say, I'm depressed all the time. Nobody would say that, that, that I doubt God sometimes. And, and quite honestly, I think that we often treat church like a social media platform where we do our best to show the parts of us that we think are the most socially acceptable. So, so, so at church, it's, how are you doing, sister? Praise God, I'm doing good. And behind that, oftentimes, there's doubts, fears, concerns. Uh, I don't know, maybe you guys are just so much holier than me, but I often wake up and struggle with the reality of the world around me. Is anyone else like that? Hey, I want to invite you guys into this relationship between the Holy Spirit, you, and me, and God's Word for just the next however long. I'm not going to give a time. I learned I'll probably lie if I do. I want to invite you guys into this opportunity to just be really honest with yourselves really honest with God. And here's what's so intriguing to me. When we're dishonest to God, it does absolutely nothing because God already knows. God can see through our, I'm doing fine, thank you. And and I think there's an opportunity for real genuine community with the Spirit and each other when we allow each other to see beyond that. You know, I shared with you guys all the wins, uh, you know, that we launched a church that grew over 100 in the middle of COVID in Maryland, which some people think is a communist state. Um, you can laugh. I said it, I'm from there, it's fine. We, you know, I, I told you, I could tell you that we had over 100 people come to faith in Christ in, in just two and a half years. I could tell you that by the time our church is three, we'll have planted another church, which is an anomaly in itself. I could tell you that we're blowing out the doors on our new building. But, but what I wouldn't have told you if I was doing the Sunday morning I'm fine thing is that I am deeply concerned that our church might not outlast me. I, I wouldn't tell you that sometimes I look at the budget reports. Where's the person who does budget reports around here? Sometimes I look at the budget reports and I go, huh, I really hope God gives us some money. I wouldn't tell you guys about the time when uh, our launch Sunday, middle of COVID, people had to sit six feet apart. Our space isn't that big. We had two services. We packed out both. It was very easy because there were a lot of rules about how far away people had to be. I wouldn't have told you that I got sick in between those services, that, that, that I was so anxious and so just physically ill that, that I, I, I chunked in a toilet. Now I want to point out something. There were only two toilets and there were a hundred people. <laughs> and there was a line hearing me. Some of you want me to leave now. It's okay. Hopefully you didn't eat breakfast recently. Guys, I think we often hide behind Instagrammable truths. Some of you might have seen the movie. Some of you are Christian and haven't. I'm kidding. Uh, But there's a movie out called Oppenheimer, and it's about the guy who created the atomic bomb. And Robert Oppenheimer, the actual guy, he said this. He said, my childhood did not prepare me for the fact that the world is full of cruel and bitter things. Uh, Again, this is the guy who made the atomic bomb. He said, my childhood did not prepare me for the fact that the world is full of cruel and bitter things. Uh, For me, I think I would flip that statement and say this, my childhood did not prepare me for the fact that there is beauty and restoration in this world. 
Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. That's where we're going today. World sucky, God holy, and somewhere in the middle, we just stumble towards the light. Uh, I was born, you know, uh, to a not great situation. My mom uh, was in an abusive marriage and she ran away from that marriage and she joined the carnival. And at the carnival, she was taken advantage of, sexually assaulted by a man. uh, And that's how Richard was born. What was out of that? So the idea of coming from love didn't really make sense to me. You know, we, 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 we grew up in a situation uh, where, where homelessness was just a part of the timeline, and it was a cycle of homelessness, sleeping on a couch, mom's abusive relationship, a new father figure. That ends badly. We're, we're on the couch again. We're in a tent again. You know, I didn't really grow up with a really high aspiration of this world. When I was five years old, I was sexually assaulted uh, by my uncle, and for, for years that altered my ability to understand the reality of love and kindness. But completely honestly with you, I think you guys can handle this, we're all adults. I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to properly enjoy intimacy with my wife because love was so broken for me. I, I hear Oppenheimer say that his childhood didn't prepare him for the cruelness of this world. I would lash back at Oppenheimer and say, man, you must have had a great childhood. I, I struggled so deeply with the idea of a God who is love because my idea of love was a four-letter word that you said before you were kicked out again because your mom didn't do whatever the boyfriend wanted or, or, or you didn't do enough or, or another slap mark across the face. I struggled with the idea of a kind God in a broken world. And I don't know if we could just pierce back our Instagrammable, our Facebook facades, our Hallmark greeting card smiles, if we could just get really honest with each other and say that maybe some of us have experienced similar realities. Friends, this world is not always kind to us, is it? And that's why we worship, isn't it? To extend a hand to heaven where our hope is, to recognize the beauty of a kind king. Friends, I'm gonna share with you my favorite Bible story. I loved watching Chris read it. Uh, I remember the first time I preached this text, it was to a youth group that I interned in. Uh, one of the first times I preached, actually, and I remember not knowing how to say any of the words. I want to, uh, Chris did good. Give it up for Chris. He, he read the scripture well. But just for you guys can go home and name your babies this, because I think this is a good Bible name. Like Everybody names their kid Isaiah or Elijah or Paul. How boring. I want you guys to go home and name your kid Mephibosheth. They will not be bullied, they will be loved, (laughs) undoubtedly, and they will never know the cruelty of this world. (laughs) Put them in public school, they'll be strong. (laughs) Hey, look at your neighbor and say it with me, Mephibosheth. (laughs) Some of you were kind of scared, you were like, All right, we're gonna try again, all right, all right, right, just this side of the room. We're leaning in, ready? We're gonna lean in. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. All right, you guys are in last place. All right, now I'll just take you guys. Let's do it. Mephibosheth. You guys are losing this one. All right, I'm coming over here now. I have a lot of energy this morning. Hey, all right, Mephibosheth. All right, where's the people who have a dog and a cat and like their cat more? Okay, you guys won, but you lose because of them. You guys win, and you guys get last place. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The world is not fair or kind. Uh, Guys, that's such a hard name to say. Uh, Imagine preaching that to youth group kids. That's my personal favorite. And then telling them there's ice cream if they say it right. They're not gonna say it right, no ice cream. Uh, But but we're gonna jump into this text. 
And as we do, I'll stop at periods and point out things to you. But here's what I'm trying to show you. I'm going to tell you right now. God is kind, even when our situations aren't. And that God gives us a seat at his table like one of his sons. Look at your neighbor and say, sonship. Look at your other neighbor and say, daughtership. I don't want to get beat up in the parking lot by church ladies. God is so kind that he doesn't just reach down and show kindness to us. He treats us like his children. Let's jump in this morning, friends. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, 2 Samuel 9. If not, I think it'll be on the screen. David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Hey, quick note here. David just said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of who? You're being tested right now. The kindness of who? All right, now I want you to take a moment and internalize that. This is the holy word of God, persevered by the Holy Spirit, preserved by God's own hand. This is the word of the Lord, amen? Amen. And when we read the word of the Lord, we know a couple things. One, that even if it wasn't written to us, it was written for us. What does that mean? This was written for a people thousands of years ago uh, in in Jerusalem. They they would talk about their kings. They're telling the story of Samuel the prophet. They're they're telling stories. And although it wasn't maybe written directly to us, you guys know that this was written for you, right? Like the Holy Spirit wants you to hear something from these words. Now, I'm going to challenge you not to do what is so natural for us to say, okay, that's just a Bible story. This passage says that David asked, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of who? God. So when we read about what David did, here's my challenge. Recognize that the kindness David shows to Mephibosheth is the same kindness God shows to you. Amen? So I want you guys to lean into that reality. We're, we're going to press on that really hard. So, so David says, is there anyone that can show the kindness of who to? God. All right, do you guys believe God is kind? Let's explore what that kindness looks like through this text. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. Everybody say it. Mephibosheth. It sounded like Mario. I love it. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Let's pause. Let's talk about everything we just read. Ready for this? All right, you guys know who David is, right? King David, he slayed the giant. Here's what I love about the Bible. The whole Bible is about Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament is the story of Jesus' coming, and it shows us the beautiful plan of God to redeem you. Hey, I'm gonna tell you guys something. The fall in the garden was not some random cosmic accident by the hand of man. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve ate of the tree. No, God was setting up the most beautiful redemption, glorification story ever. 
and it starts and ends with the story of Jesus. But what's so interesting is the entirety of the Old Testament points us to this greater reality. The Old Testament is about Jesus, amen? Now I'm gonna challenge you. Who here loves David and Goliath's story? Yeah? Hey, you're not David. You're not the king running up to kill a giant. You're not the hero. I'm gonna challenge you to shift your understanding of the Bible for just a second, right? Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to unorthodoxy or, or progressive Christianity. I just want you to realize something. You're not David. You're not the hero slaying the enemy. That's Jesus. David and Goliath points to Jesus. Can I tell you who we are in that story? We're the scared Israelites who are like, I don't know what to do. 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 And, and then a, out of nowhere, the anointed one comes and saves us. Do you see the connection? All right, now I want us to read that text with that Jesus-centric lens. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul was ousted and replaced by David, the shepherd boy who killed giants, the one from nowhere, the, 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 the unexpected king, the, the king who didn't really meet the mold of what they were looking for in a king. I mean, Saul was was beautiful, and Saul was strong, and Saul, Saul was militant, and Saul was who we would want as a king. Saul was the guy who got things done, but Saul was not God's anointed anymore. God anointed David, and through a cosmically aggressive story, if you know the, the text in 1 Samuel, you'll see that David replaces Saul as king. You guys know that, right? Now, if you know anything about the ancient world, when there was a change of power, it was peaceful, right? It was, like, it was like you just walked into the office, the, I don't know, they probably had a square office. You just walk on in and you sit down and the old regime is out and the new regime is in and you get to put like, the swimming pool wherever you want the swimming pool and nobody's angry at anybody. It's just peaceful because politics today are so peaceful, right? No, this was a bloodbath if you know anything about the ancient world. The change of power often required blood. We know that Saul's dead, Jonathan dies. And if you read 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, you don't have to go there. You'll read that when they were running out of the castle, Mephibosheth's nurse, his attendant, the one who took care of him, dropped him. And when she dropped him, his feet broke. Now, what's interesting about that is if you read later in the scriptures, we see that people who are disabled are called invalid. So, so one word that I think we can apply to Mephibosheth in his culture is that he would have been considered invalid. And here's what invalid means, is that he can't provide for himself. He, he can't take care of himself. Well, why can't he take care of himself? Because he was dropped. And why was he dropped? Because the world is bloody. You know, I often think that we would read a story like Mephibosheth's and, and we'd ask, well, how did he get hurt? Why, why would a, anyone ever ask us, why would a good God let that happen? Who's ever genuinely wondered that after watching the news? Hey, I don't know how we can see a news story of another school shooting and not ask those type of questions. Can I tell you guys something? The book of Habakkuk is people asking, is Habakkuk asking God hard questions. <laughs> God, why would you let this? Anyone ever read Lamentations? Lamentations pierces the bubble of what we think worship is. Because Lamentations is five chapters of sobbing. But it's sobbing into the arms of God. It's sobbing into Christ's kindness. You know, I, 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 I read stories like this and I, I think, why did Mephibosheth have it so bad? I mean, it's not Mephibosheth's fault that his grandfather was a tyrant, was it? It's not Mephibosheth's fault that, that, that God appointed a new king and there was a transition of power. Hey, do you guys ever see the situation a child's in and feel bad that they're in that situation because of their parents? Let's be honest. Hey, do you ever look at a child with parents who aren't there? 
And maybe for some of you, that's your story. And you wonder, man, how could a good God let this kid be so alone? You ever seen videos of children in Africa? Man, I'm thankful for the IMB and the missions work happening all over the world. Because I see pictures and videos of young girls being thrown into sex slavery. Uh, Ukraine, where children were being torn from their parents by war. I don't care where you land on the political aisle. I hope you land in Jesus' grace. Uh, There's all this blood and mess, and it permeates the world. And the natural response, and I think we dismiss this as not having enough faith, the natural response is to say, God, why? God, why do bad things happen? Hey, I wrestled with this coming to faith in Christ. God, why was, was my idea of love so twisted? Why was my idea of family so broken? I struggle with the idea of the family of God, if I'm so honest with you, because family to me isn't always a kind place. Why is the reality of this world so messy when you're so kind? I, I struggle with that. But I think that we see something in Mephibosheth's story. Friends, Mephibosheth was dropped and his feet break. He, here's a simple idea broken people break, and sinful people sin. Later in Romans, Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. Friends, you know that every single one of us is born with sin's mark on us? If you wake up one day and your back aches, it's not because maybe you sin specifically, but it's because sin is in this world. Hey, cancer, death, heartbreak, those are purely the symptoms of a great condition known as death that comes from sin. Mephibosheth, wow, look at me. Mephibosheth fell. Mephibosheth was dropped. And friends, I think of the garden. Hey, do any of you ever get mad at Adam and Eve? Like, why would you eat it? There were plenty of other foods. It had to be a Godiva apple or something. It had to be decadent. Friends, can I tell you something? I think every single one of us would have ate the fruit just like they did. Can I tell you why? Broken people break. Sinful people sin. Somewhere inside of us, there's something that wants to be like God. Anybody disagree with me? If you do, then I'll ask you this. What's your newest idol? What's the newest thing that's robbing your heart of trust in Jesus? And maybe you've reached a place in holiness that that I hope I get one day, but, but I feel like our Christian faith and the scriptures, I feel like, argue this. Paul says, I know what I should do, but I still don't do it. I feel like following Jesus is often struggling forward, isn't it? That, that we're being pulled forward by the sanctifying grace of a holy king while we sin and struggle and mess on ourselves. As we just pray, he pulls us. Mephibosheth was broken because this world is broken. This world is broken because it didn't go the way that it could have. And it didn't go the way that it could have because broken people break and sinful people sin. So Mephibosheth is brought into the place of David. Now watch this. He's, from, he's living at Maker, the son, with Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. That's a known enemy of the king. Does that make sense? Let's watch this. Mephibosheth isn't just the grandson of the former king. He's living with an enemy of the king. He's not just broken in his feet. Friends, there is no Americans with Disabilities Act there. He's crippled and unable to provide for himself. He's relying on the enemy of the king to take care of him. He's an enemy of the king by birth. He's an enemy of the king by residency. He's unable to work for himself so he can't eat. He is completely dependent on the world around him to care for him. And what I think is so interesting is that if you know anything about the old world, the most logical response of King David would be to kill him. Because if anybody can claim the throne from David, Mephibosheth walks in, well, maybe he hobbles in, and he says this, he says, my grandfather was the king, who gives this man a right? If you look at dynasties all over the world, China, England, Switzerland, the Norse, 
oftentimes when there was an upheaval of power, it's between two or three families and they just keep replacing who's in charge in that moment. So what happens is a king takes over, typically he'll kill everybody in that line. Why? Because if there's no enemies left, no one can replace me. David doesn't kill Mephibosheth. Right there, there's a grace and a kindness. Friends, can I tell you something that doesn't sit well with us often, but I think is needed for our souls to have joy? The most logical response of God to our sin would be to destroy us. And that's not fire and brimstone. I think that's unending grace. I am an enemy of God by birth. I was born in sin. Mephibosheth was born as an enemy to the king. I don't know about you guys, but I've often resided in sin. Anybody else in here like that? Not too holy to admit it. It's okay. Holy on Sunday. I get it. Guys, we often do this thing where we forget about who we once were when we become who God's making us. I lived in sin. I loved sin. I enjoyed sin. I was sitting at the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber, cursing the king, planning his downfall, and still the king invited me into his court. Notice that this guy is known in the Bible as someone who's trying to overthrow King David. This is the bad guy in the story. And Mephibosheth is sitting there, eating with him. Obviously, he's eating, he's living. And David brings him in, and David says, whoa, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He's not just saying dead dog because of his condition. He's saying dead dog because that's what he thinks is about to happen. The king doesn't bring in the enemy of the king very often unless it's to kill them. Now think about those songs you sing about Jesus inviting you in. How sweeter, how much more beautiful is that grace? Mephibosheth bows to David. Verse 9, the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. And said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house, water break, I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, all that the Lord, my Lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in, lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. I want to point out something to you. Mephibosheth is brought into the room. You get that, right? So Mephibosheth hobbles in. And he's told that everything that your grandfather owned is now yours. I'm going to throw you guys back to the garden, creation. Do you guys know that God created us to live with him in perfect unity forever? Do you guys know that it says that when Adam and Eve sinned, God walked through the garden? Any of you ever seen God walk right by you in physical form? Don't put your hand up. You might get taken somewhere. Friends, do any of you want to see God walk right by you in physical form? Friends, can you imagine just sitting at the side of the king of creation? Can you imagine, like, communing with the God who holds the world? Can you imagine how sweet and beautiful of an inheritance that was robbed from us by our sin? Friends, we were created to live in perfect communion with God for all eternity. And sin wrecked it. Saul had all this land. David's expanded the land. David conquered. If you know the Bible, David took a lot more land, didn't he? And, and Mephibosheth is told, hey, all the land that was Saul's is yours. He was just given all the land he would have had if he had stayed as king. Do you see that? All of your grandfather's land is now yours. King David is giving Mephibosheth back what he lost because of the brokenness of the world. Do you see that? 
He's saying, even though you're broken, even though there's been mistakes, even though things are messy, I'm going to show you grace. Not only will I not kill you, I'll bless you. Not only will I not end you, I'll give you a hope for life. Not only will I not destroy you, I will give you substance and food and a position with me. But I'll tell you, friends, what I love about this text and what warms Richard Pope's heart is this idea of the brokenness of my origin being met by the kindness of a king. That it doesn't matter that I was born in a messy situation, in an unkind world with unfit realities governing my life. It doesn't matter that I'm depressed and anxious and stressed out a lot of the time. I'm only five foot nine, and it really makes me sad. None of that actually matters. Some of you laugh, some of you are annoyed. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is that when I sit with God, when I come to the table of grace with Jesus, Jesus treats me according to the, the beginning of the text. He treats me with this type of kindness. Friends, you have never sinned in a way that God cannot wash clean. And you have never broken in a way that God cannot restore. And you have never hurt in a way that God cannot make whole. And you have never lost something that God can't give back to you at the snap of his holy fingers. God is seen in doing these incredible things for us on the cross in Jesus. That Jesus Christ died for the sinner. But I love the way this text frames this idea in such a story-like way that, that Mephibosheth was the bad guy. Guys, Mephibosheth is the bad guy. He's like you and me, unless you've never sinned. But, but I think if we're honest, if we just peel back that, remember the Instagrammable, we're gonna peel behind the filter here for a minute because we can't filter the way God sees us. I don't care how much time you spend on Photoshop, you can't change your presentation before a holy king. Friends, what does this mean? This means that when you and I sit at the table of grace, when we partake in communion, when when we laugh with friends and the Holy Spirit's there, because Jesus said we're we're two or more gathered, I'm there. When, When we're in those moments where Jesus is with us, that Jesus only shows us kindness. That, that God is restoring lost and broken things. I love Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross. He came to die on a cross for you could have a family. I love John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Say it. That... Okay, we have a lot of different translations in the house. Hallelujah. But, but what I hear is this, this idea that it's not me perishing because Jesus came. God so loved the world that whoever believes, if you break down that word believe, you can find a couple different words in the Greek. But one of the, most, one of the ones that stands out to me is commits. If you would only commit to God, if you would only say, God, I'm here. I, I know you did this and I'm, I'm with you, that you will not perish. Friends, I go back to Oppenheimer's quote. He says, my childhood did not prepare me for the fact the world is full of cruel and bitter things. And I say amen to Oppenheimer on that one. This world is cruel and this world doesn't have all the answers, but there's a God who does. There's a simple gospel message of a complex God beyond our imagination, but it stands like this. Jesus died for sinners could be saved. And I think we often lose sight of that simplicity in the gospel. I I get to talk to college students constantly, and they're silly. Anyone know any college students? I don't know about your guys' college students, but the phone calls at 1 a.m., wow, college students don't sleep. 
I can't imagine calling a pastor at 1 a.m., and I am one. But, but these college students, man, they have all these questions. I get tons of college students from very post-Christian areas, uh, places where the gospel is just believed to be an old fairy tale. And, and they'll ask things like, Richard, okay, if your God's so kind, then how come my, my little brother has Parkinson's? Or how come this? Or how come there's war in Iraq? Or, and, and they list out all these things. And I'll be honest with you, those questions are questions I have. I don't think we always have to answer those questions. I think we just have to trust that God has the answer. And I think when we trust that God has the answer, we learn an intimacy with Christ that changes everything. Mephibosheth didn't argue with David according to this text. He didn't say, wait, David, I was with maker. You don't know how bad I am. No, he just, says, he, he, just, he, just, he just bows. What would happen if your embrace to Jesus was just bowing down and trusting his kindness? What would happen if you went to, went to God and said, who am I, Jesus, that you would recognize a dead dog such as I? And then you just lived in the grace of Christ. Friends, I often think that we think way too highly of ourselves. I love that Mephibosheth was already in a posture of submission. He had already decided that whatever David said is what it was gonna be. Because he recognized something that we often fail to accept about our own king of creation, about Jesus, that whatever Jesus says goes. <laughs> so we submit. Friends, I love the, the, this one passage. And it, it just, there's this one verse in this passage that, that, that has robbed my soul of anger and misery time after time. There's one verse I want to hone in on with you for just a second. It's this. Ziba said to the king, verse 11, according to all that my Lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And then you go to the end of the passage. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. I don't know who I'm talking to here to be quite honest, but I think I'm talking to pilgrims, people trying to follow Jesus in a world that is often dark, that trips us up. If you guys are honest, doesn't it often feel like we're just stumbling towards light, hoping we fall in the arms of Jesus? I don't know about you guys, but I think I have less together than I think I do. I, I think that I often fail more often than I want to admit. I'm not always as kind of a husband as I should be. I'm not always the type of pastor I hope I am. I'm not often the friend that I think my friends deserve. But I rest in this fact and if this story points to the kindness of God, can we just for a moment embrace that reality? That, that I and you and sinners like us sit at the king's table like one of the king's sons. It doesn't say Mephibosheth got baptized, and I think baptism is an important part of our faith journey. It doesn't say Mephibosheth tithed. <laughs> Tithe is good for your soul. It doesn't say that Mephibosheth went through a 12-step program to learn how to be holy. It just says Mephibosheth was invited by a king and because of that, he sat. I think that that's a gospel grace that we often rob ourselves of. Richard Pope could not do the things that I thought I had to do to be holy or saved. Richard Pope could not give himself a seat at a table that I was the enemy of and neither could any of you. But in the infinite kindness of King Jesus, we're not only welcome to the table, he prepares the meal. He is the meal. Jesus Christ died and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. He says that this is what I provided for you. Friends, you don't have to strain so much in following Jesus. We just strive for grace. 
I think we often run ourselves exhausted trying to buy a meal that we can't afford. You can't afford Jesus' kindness. Stop trying. You can't earn more grace. And Jesus is never going to love you more than he already does because he already loves you more than you can comprehend. St. Augustine says this. He says that God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Friends, when I got led to Jesus at 15 years old, I was in and out of mental facilities. I had a short stint in juvie. I mean, I was a bad kid. There's no such thing as bad kids. You didn't know me. I, I was in and out of this messy world. And finally, somebody who did not know how to share the gospel, they didn't have the three circles. They didn't have the Billy Graham method. All he had was the love of God. He said to me, Jesus loves you. And I remember saying, how, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus loves me? I spent the last months bullying this kid. And he said, Jesus loves me. And he told me to tell you that he loves you too. And that's all he said to me. He didn't answer all my questions. But I'll tell you that right then in that moment, I recognized there was a chair open for me. And right then in that moment, the Holy Spirit penetrated layer after layer of anger and stone cold resentment. And the Holy Spirit did a work in my heart. And I remember asking him, what now? I want that. And I think we often forget the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus loves, redeems, and saves so dead people come to life, amen? And we get so stuck in this ideology of doing. Mephibosheth was invalid. He could not validate himself. Mephibosheth was broken. He could not work. Mephibosheth was an enemy. He could not make himself holy. Yet a better king not only made him holy, but fed him and validated him and redeemed him. And how much sweeter is the gospel that in all of our brokenness, sin, shame and shortcomings. God has not just made us kind or not just made us whole. He's actually making us holy. That God right now, as you sit here, as you strain towards Jesus, he's telling you to just rest in him. That Jesus has already done the work. Jesus doesn't want you to bring your crappy charcuterie board to the dinner. He wants you to bring yourself, grown up lunchable. Jesus just wants you to rest with him. Jesus just wants you to be there. Friends, all Jesus wants from you is you. So he sought you out when you were still in darkness. He said, is there anyone left of the house of destruction of Adam that I can redeem? But when earth gave a resounding silence, because the cost was far too much, scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin likeness. That's Jesus Christ. And he was strapped up on a tree, crucified. That was the search party for your soul. How far would someone who loves you go to find you? Look at the gospel. They will go to hell's gates. And when Jesus is crucified and his friends leave him and he's betrayed, and if you think you would never betray him, think of all the ways you betray him. May we not think higher of ourselves than we ought to. When he was betrayed and strapped out, do you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And this blows me away if you know the gospel. This is the gospel message if it's new to you. Jesus Christ died. He did not even have a tomb. There was nowhere to put our king. He, he didn't deserve a fine tomb. He, he, he was useless to them. So they say, take him, whoever wants to. He was put in a borrowed tomb. But this is the gospel that in three days he broke out of that tomb. That in three days we were shown for all eternity that love has defeated darkness. That light has defeated sickness. That every part of the gospel is for every part of our brokenness. And that God is doing this redeeming work of the world. Friends, we are just like Mephibosheth. The difference is that we had to have somebody die to save us. King David invited. Jesus died to invite you. 
King David offered a seat. Jesus Christ is the seat. King David forgave a few wrongs. Jesus Christ healed your wrongs. And even now he offers you a resounding trumpet of grace singing hallelujah. Friends, what else can we say to a king besides thank you, besides hallelujah? It's okay to ask those questions, God, why does this happen? But while you're asking, keep a hand on grace because grace is by which we're saved through the gospel. Friends, I love this reality that not only is Jesus healing broken things, that he is using that same power that broke the tomb to heal me and you. King David brought Mephibosheth to the table, but he couldn't fix his feet. Friends, can I tell you, there is a far greater king named Jesus who doesn't just bring you to his table, but when you leave that table, which you never will, you are healed and have a new body. Revelation tells us there will come a day with no more crying or suffering or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. And we look forward to that blessed day when that sky splits and Jesus Christ comes to be with his people. Can I tell you this? Jesus isn't just healing you. He's using you to heal this world. The same power that Jesus used to resurrect is the same power he's commissioning you with to go and breathe resurrection into a dying world. We are not saved to nothing. We are saved from something to something. That's the gospel. That, that Jesus Christ died to save me, and after he saved me, he resurrected me. And that resurrection is not for you to gather on Sundays and toil in your holiness. That resurrection is for you to resurrect the world around you. Friends, I, I deal with this with, with our college kids. Pastor Richard, yeah, I love Jesus now. They all walk like this, by the way, with their tight pants, weirdos. They say, they say Pastor Richard, yeah, I just, church isn't my thing. Can I tell you something real quick? Jesus Christ isn't coming back for you. He's coming back for his bride. We're saved through personal relationship. Don't mistake me as a heretic, but we're saved into the family of God. We're saved from brokenness and loneliness into a divine, holy community called the saints of the church. Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride, made spotless by his love. We're not just saved from something, we're saved to something. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not saved from sin to just live like this. We're saved from sin to be the world changers by the power of the Lord. We're called from brokenness to light, but we don't just sit in the light and celebrate, yay, we're, we made it. You didn't make it, you were brought there. We get a lamp and we put that fire of the gospel in that lamp and we run around like Paul Revere screaming. But we're not screaming about no red coats. We're screaming that Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is here. We run around. We proclaim the gospel all over the world around us. I'm going to ask a hard question. When is the last time you shared the gospel with your neighbor? When is the last time you shared the gospel with a single mom at your favorite restaurant? When is the last time you shared the gospel with that lost person? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. If a 16-year-old covered in pimples can lead me to Jesus, you can lead people to Jesus too. When is the last time you took the light of the gospel and didn't hold it for yourself but shared it with the dying world around you? Friends, that gospel power that saved you is the gospel power God's using in you to redeem the world. I, I love this passage. It's my second favorite passage. Philippians chapter three, verse 17 through 21, Paul writes this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I'm speaking not of myself, Paul speaking of the apostles. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, 
Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power. Watch this, the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'm a little Baptocostal if you weren't warned, I'm sorry. But there's this beautiful reality that God is not just saving us. He's not just healing us. He's actually transforming us from lowly to glory. You saw that, amen? But watch this, Paul says something. There's those who walk with as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. Friends, can I tell you that our life is not supposed to be simple. We shouldn't strive for nothingness. We should strive for holiness. And a part of following Jesus is acting like Jesus. And if Jesus Christ came not to serve, but not, not to be served, but to serve, how much more should we serve the dying world around us? Friends, can I tell you a statistic I read? 2% of Christians share their faith a year. The church in, in America is not dying because of politics. The church in America is not dying because of liberals or conservatives. I don't care what you believe. The church in America is not dying from some scheme of the devil. He will not overcome us. Wasn't it Jesus who said, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Can I tell you the only way that the church cannot accomplish its mission is if they don't try? Friends, the church in America is losing ground purely because we don't try. Purely because we don't care enough, me included, to see the little Richard Pope or the little whatever your name is that doesn't know Christ. Every lost person you know that you've not shared the gospel with is a tragedy. I think of my own life, I'm not perfect in this. Friends, we are called to wage war on darkness. The table was already set. I think of that table where Mephibosheth sat. I, I think of Mephibosheth sitting there and that was it. He was the last guest. Can I tell you something? There is a table in the arms of Jesus that is long and there are many seats open just waiting for their inhabitant to come, but the inhabitant isn't there because we've not told them. How can we love the gospel so much but not share the gospel? How can we love Jesus so much and not tell anyone? How can we be the church without actually doing the thing Jesus told us to? Go therefore and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I told our church that when we were planting, I was not a church planter. I was a pastor assigned to help church planters accomplish their mission. Richard Pope did not plant canvas. 19 faithful followers of Christ did. And I'm passionate about this thing of evangelism because those 19 people were all new converts. Our church was planted out of a desperate desire to see Jesus save our friends. And over 100 people have gotten saved in our church, not because I'm a good preacher, not because we have the coolest system. My church was in a strip mall next to a joint that sold weed. Like, like we weren't sexy, we weren't cool. We had Jesus, how much cooler? Friends, and if you guys love Jesus, that means that Jesus Christ lives inside of you, amen? No, 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 amen? amen. Was that the Maryland coming out? No, 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 sorry about that. I'm not from Baltimore, don't worry. I know you guys are scared of it. I'm kidding. Friends, Paul was crying about the reality of lost people. You see that? Don't talk about a lost person's sin if you haven't loved them in it. Don't post about how broken the world is if you're not engaging it. Don't be afraid of the lost people. Their end is destruction. Your end is holiness. How much braver should we be with that reality at hand? But Paul says that our lowly bodies will be transformed like his glorious body by the same power that enables him to, the same power that is bringing everything back into restoration. 
Friends, I told you this was my, one of my favorite passages. 2 Samuel 9 was my favorite Bible story, favorite Old Testament passage. This is my favorite New Testament passage. Uh, when I don't preach at Canvas, I figure I'm going to preach all my favorite things. I have 18 passages left, so buckle up. I'm kidding. <laughs> I love this passage because I feel like it's a good ending to 2 Samuel 9. Where Mephibosheth was given a seat, Jesus gives us a seat and healing. Amen? Hey, where Mephibosheth was given hope, we're given eternal hope. Amen? Where Mephibosheth was given a chance, we're given a future, guaranteed. And that future is Jesus. You know, uh, right before, I debate if I was going to share this or not, right before uh, launching our church, I had been having some, uh, you know, yeah, just a pretty crazy time in my health. Uh, when I was 18, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, which isn't that big of a deal. You just lose one of your boys. Um, sorry, you, you're uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know how West Virginia Baptists are. I'm used to Maryland Baptists. We're ratchet. Uh, <laughs> and then when I was 20 and we were 21, we were first trying to plant the church, testicular cancer came back. It's cool. I have two boys. It's fine. Easy to fix. Uh, but I, I had been clear for about a year and it was uh, December of 2020, the best time ever, planting a church in the middle of COVID. Super easy, you all should do it. Uh, and our team was growing and we found a building. And the same day that we found the building, the strip mall with the joint and the weed and all the fun stuff, uh, that same day I had my one-year checkup for my cancer and the doctor told me it was back. And I remember being oddly not bothered about it for like 10 minutes. And then I got in the car and I was devastated. Peyton and I had been married for about nine months and all nine months were COVID, so it had already been a little rocky. Uh, and I just couldn't imagine telling my wife that I was sick. You know, not long after, we're, we're moving forward. The cancer spreads to my lymphatic system. And they do a surgery to remove some lymph nodes. A couple weeks later in the post-op scans, the doctor looks at me. And he says, do you pray? And I remember being blown away. I'm like, get out of here, dude. <laughs> Tell me I'm good. I was too busy planting a church. Uh, he said, I don't have a word for this, but it's like an anti-miracle. And the doctor told me then that the cancer had spread throughout my body. And the diagnosis then was three to five years, or the, the uh, prognosis was three to five years. And honestly, friends, that was two and a half years ago. So either I'm about to die really soon or Jesus is good or both. That being said, I love this passage from Philippians because I planted a church after being told I had terminal cancer, not by my power, but by God's power, amen? That's why I tell you I'm not a church planter. I'm an okay-ish pastor with 19 really incredible church planting friends. My church was planted by addicts, and it was planted by college students, and it was planted by faithful members. And even now, I have brought one of our church, uh, one of our pastoral interns with us who's going to plant a church soon. Uh, our church has been planted by the move of God and simple people saying, yes, Jesus, I'll sit with you. I love this passage because this passage tells me that whether I'm healed on earth or in heaven, that Richard Pope will be healed of every earthly pain. That whether I am healed by God's hand miraculously here and we celebrate with a good old Baptist potluck, or I'm healed in heaven, I will be healed by the same power that God used to resurrect Jesus. But I, I'm also challenged by that. 
Here, here's what I've seen in the last two and a half years of preaching and loving people and pastoring a church while apparently dying of cancer. We often wait until it's too late to say the things that matter to us. I can't tell you how many people still treat me oddly like they want to say something but don't know how. Or, or the people who text me way more than they used to once they heard I was terminal. I have friends I went to high school with, some Jesus followers, a lot of them not. And, and all of a sudden I started getting text messages from people I haven't talked to in years. And I don't say this resentfully or angrily. I'm angry that I'm dying, but I'm happy God is good. I, I say this to say that I think when we wait to do a good thing, it shows how little we actually value it. Friends, there is a text message you should send today. And there's an email that you should have already sent, a phone call, snail mail, depending on your age or demographic, maybe a tweet. What is it, X now? <laughs> Friends, here's what you should be telling people. Jesus Christ lives. The gospel is good. The, 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 the closer I get to the expiration date, I was told, I'm not so confident that I have a better doctor. The closer I get to that date, though, the more I'm thankful for Harold Pontius sharing the gospel with a 15-year-old who bullied him. I'm thankful that when I told him he was a stupid beep, that he loved me more because Jesus loved him. I'm thankful not for the opportunities I've had in ministry, but I'm thankful for the people I've seen come to know Christ. Because I can't imagine leaving this world with a house and a car and things on walls and awards and all those things, but knowing that nothing was done by my hand for the gospel through Christ's kindness. So he, here's my challenge for you. That text, brothers, join in imitating Paul, not Richard Pope. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in them. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears, change how you read that. They're not the bad guys, they're the lost guys. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their belly, in, and their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, what minds set on earthly things, but our, us, citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, yes, even my cancerous one, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Friends, don't read that as an opportunity to avoid lost people. Read that as an opportunity to do ministry without fear of death. Read that as an opportunity to go all in on gospel courage. Read that as an opportunity to leave no part of your street unturned. I don't care if you are young or old, if you have breath in your lungs, that is the breath of God and he is not done with you and there is gospel work to be done. If you can breathe in, you can breathe out the excellencies of Christ. If you can talk, you can share the gospel. If you can't walk but you can crawl, you can crawl in obedience to the Lord. And when we do gospel things with gospel intentionality as children who were brought to a seat at the table that we could never afford, we have two great hopes. One is that we are children of a king and this world cannot stand against us. The second one is this, that every ounce of gospel obedience you put out will be rewarded by gospel faith and gospel excellency. What do I mean by that? That every lost person you share the gospel with, that that's one more opportunity for someone to be with you in heaven. The reason I'm scared of dying is because I don't want to leave my wife behind, and I'm scared that I'll have loved ones that don't know Jesus. So I decided 
not in bravery, but in fear, to be honest with you. And I know perfect love casts out fear. Crucify me later. I, I, I decided in a moment of fear that I wanted to make sure that every person I loved knew the gospel. Because if everyone I know knows the gospel, I could know that I tried when I died. I pray that you have that type of courage and do what the Bible tells you before you, you're told you're dying. I waited too long. I'm gonna pray for us. And as I pray, I hope that you will challenge yourself to think of that lost person that you love that is not in the arms of Christ. Can we get into a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you? Can you rest, Neil, whatever you do, I'm gonna pray. But even as I pray, would you just think of that lost person? Everyone have a person they love who doesn't know Jesus? Hey, let's pray for them even now. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you're kind. Lord, we thank you that you give us seats at the table like one of your sons. God, I pray that as we just now enter a time of prayer, that we would be reminded that you love lost people. Lord, may we repent of ever thinking that we're better than the lost people down the street from us. God, Richard Pope was a sinner. We were sinners apart from the grace and kindness of Christ. Lord, you, you died so that we could have absolute hope in the gospel. Lord, right now I pray for even those names on my heart. God, I pray that right now we would just lift those names unto you. Lord, that we would just pray that lost people would know a good king. God, I pray for my father. God, I just pray that you would ransom his heart with grace. Lord, right now all around the room as we just think of that one we love, I pray that you would give us a desire to see them know Jesus, God. May we not be the 98%, God. Help us to be the 2% until the 2% is the majority. May we love Jesus enough that we share him. May we love lost people enough that we attack their darkness with grace. Lord, may we be gospel people doing gospel work for a gospel king. Lord, I pray that every aching bone in our bodies would be used for gospel stories. May you use our weak, beaten down flesh so that the spirits of many may be lifted. Lord, I pray right now that lost people we love would even just feel the spirit of God tugging on their hearts. Lord, as we leave this place, may we be less concerned with our lunch plans than our gospel plans. And Lord, I pray for a revival in West Virginia by the power of the Spirit of God and the love of his people. God, I pray that even now as we just tarry a moment longer in prayer to you, that you would remind us that you are here in this room. God, you are here in this room with us. And no filter can hide our reality from you. God, any sins in our heart holding us back from being confident in the gospel. Lord, help us to repent. Any fear in our heart, God, remind us that perfect love casts out all fear. May it cast it out now. Lord, every sick and hurting body, God, remind friends like me that if there's breath in our lungs, we're not done. One more gospel story. One more gospel story. Hallelujah, Jesus, one more gospel. God, may those lost people in our hearts be engaged by the movement of God through his bride. God, I pray. I pray that we would trust you, follow you, seek you, love you, know you. 
God, I pray that we would know you in the morning and in the night. And I pray that because we know you and seek you, others would know you as well. God, I pray that our time in your word this morning would not be in vain. I pray that the word would cut the parts of us that need to be cut and heal the parts of us that need to be healed. And Lord, I pray that we would move in gospel obedience. Help us to obey. Jesus, you are holy. You are beautiful. You are good. Jesus, you are the king, yet you died like a peasant. And we sit beside you and we move with you and you move in us. So may we move towards the darkness as beacons of light, bringing the gospel wherever we go. And we pray that in the beautiful, holy name of Jesus, who reigns forever and ever and ever. And all of God's children said, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.